0: Hi, Story Seeds podcast listeners. Your host, Betsy Bird here. Welcome to our bonus episode. One of my favorite parts of this job is that I get to talk to all the authors we are featuring on the podcast to get behind-the-scenes scoops on their experiences in writing life. Today, I am chatting with Rushni Laraka, author of her delectable debut novel, Midsummer's Mayhem. It's a story about food and family, and combines Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream with competitive baking. Rushni was the perfect match for Liana Cabrera's modern fairy tale of a story seed, and together they dreamed up Aina's Mirror. Here is our conversation. Rajani, thank you so much for talking to me.
1: Thank you, Betsy. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yes, this is awesome. Okay, so let's start with Liana, just right from the start here. Now, what was it about her story seed that worked for you? Um, I know that it had a certain element of a girl who doesn't fit in with her family. Um, Her family is full of celebrities, and, and she gets a magic mirror in some way. So uh, what was it you liked about it?
1: I loved that it had to do with a girl and her family and about wondering whether she actually belonged in that. Um, And that is a theme in my book as well. And so I'm I was just delighted that that was part of uh, what was going on. And then, of course, there is a magical element to it, which is also something that's right up my alley. So I was I was that was in general, the perfect story seed for me.
0: Aw, that's so nice. It's nice that we actually get it right. That's great. (laughs) It's not that we ever get it wrong. We never get it wrong. It's always correct. Now, what was it like actually uh, meeting Liana?
1: Meeting Liana was just delightful. We met at this lovely, lovely antique store called Pippin Vintage in New York City. And she was really sweet. Um, She was uh, kind of soft-spoken, um, but she had some really great ideas for her story and she'd done some artwork ahead of time that was really really wonderful.
0: What was, what was Pippin Vintage like? We got sort of a sense of it, but it it sounded really cool. Like what what did it actually look like?
1: It was super cool. There was a an entrance off the street and then you walked through this corridor that was still kind of outside but also sheltered and felt kind of inside and that Mm -hmm. entire corridor was lined with mirrors and this actually (laughs) made it into the story that i wrote because i was fascinated by it um and they were all different shapes and sizes they looked to be different ages we uh liana and i walked through that corridor and looked at all the mirrors and we talked about which ones appealed to her the most and uh Mm -hmm. that was really neat. And kind of watching the light and our own expressions bounce around in that corridor was really neat. And then you entered this courtyard that was still outside, but it felt really sheltered from the elements. And it was about as surprising a thing to find in the middle of New York City as you can imagine. Um, There was ivy, there were fairy lights, there was this uh, beautiful little cottage with a big oak door with a big glass panel. And you had the feeling that if you entered into the store that something magical might happen That's so cool. Where is it located? It's on it's a pretty busy Manhattan street, and you would never know once you got back yeah. there.
0: It's absolutely fascinating. the more the more I hear about it, I mean it sounds fictional, quite frankly. I'm sorry, it sounds like you made this up. I'm like, oh sure, there was a wall of mirrors, yeah, there was uh-huh, and it was That's like right. a hit. With an oak door, go on with you. Nah. That's right, and and don't forget the ivy. And the <laughs> ivy, of course, there was ivy and fairy lights, and no, no, no exactly. No. Don't a word. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was pretty
1: remarkable. It, it sounds rather yeah.
0: delightful and magical. It, it, it so it did. It yes. inspire your writing in any way?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you will see or, or hear in um the story that basically that little corridor with the mirrors went right into the story as did the big, big door.
0: How could it not that it, it yeah. is, it is too good not to include. Yes. Now you, you collaborated with her, uh, with Liana. Have you ever collaborated with anyone before?
1: Ooh. Um, n- not really, not like this. Um, not to, uh, write a story with them uh you know i have critique partners who are wonderful so anytime i'm writing anything um i do get their advice uh but it was different having kind of the seed of an idea given to me from someone else
0: now this story that you two wrote together uh it has a lot of fairy tale sort of tropes in it you know you've got your glamour and you have your magic mirrors but at the same time, it's completely current. You have dog walkers, you have YouTube stars, <laughs> um, and they, but they really go together really seamlessly. There's, there's no disconnect, I'd say, between the two. Um, so, how did you find this sort of balance between sort of classic, old-fashioned elements and then sort of in this modern setting?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I will just say that all of my life, um, I would say that my favorite genre of book has been contemporary fantasy, um, where things are set in the real world or what seems like the real world, and then mm-hmm. elements of fantasy or sci-fi kind of work their way in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I've loved that since I was a kid. And you know, Madeline L'Engle was one of my huge inspirations growing up. Um, and she does that so well, weaving in elements of fantasy and sci-fi into a contemporary setting to the point, you know, at some, in some of her stories, I couldn't tell what she had made up and what seemed to be a real place. So um, I, uh, I find myself doing the same thing in a lot of my writing. Um, so one of the things that interested me when I, uh, when I was writing this story was the role of technology. Because quite honestly, the internet kind of ruins lots of things for writers. Because part of what you need to do as a writer is have people suspend disbelief, and if you can just instantly Google something, then you're—I mean, there's no way to suspend that disbelief, right? So, (laughs) one of the ways that I work on kind of weaving magic into contemporary settings is um, I try and have the main character really not that connected to technology. So, uh, one of uh, the uh, my protagonist in the story. Aina basically like her entire family is obsessed with technology, and she doesn't like it. She likes old fashioned things, and so that's kind of where there was there was the opportunity to have a little bit of magic enter her life, and not have her be wait wait a minute like what's really going on here? Let me Google it.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's very smart. If her embracing things that are not technological is sort of a rejection of her family then that's just natural. That's just a part of the story that just comes naturally to you. You don't have to have the character suddenly abandoned on a rocky outcrop. Oh, I can't get a signal. You know, you don't have to do that because exactly. he from the start has already said, yeah, it's not for me.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So
0: food was a big part of your novel, uh, Midsummer's Mayhem, and you were able to weave in, was it of uh, yes. Liana's favorite Bangladeshi snack? Yes. Yes, yes. You were able to, to sort of weave that into the story. Um, do you personally
1: associate memory memories to food? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is that, of course, the taste evokes a lot of memories, but the smells really do. There are certain yes, things that my mom that would make so growing true. up that you were, I'm just, it just takes me right back to being that age. Yep. Now when when you were a
0: kid, yeah. what was your favorite snack? Oh boy.
1: Um so I'm with I have a sweet tooth in case you couldn't tell from midsummer's mayhem. <laughs> my um my mom that my favorite dessert that my mom would make was something called uh carrot halva, which is um it sounds way healthier than it actually is because it is made of <laughs> <laughs> it is made of carrots, lots of grated carrots, but it has a lot of ghee and a lot of sugar and mm. cardamom and raisins and cashews and it is absolutely delicious yeah. yeah that that's my favorite food memory from my childhood.
0: oh, that's nice, and yeah. uh, now, when you're writing,
1: do you have certain
0: snacks that you like to eat or drink when you you're doing your writing so
1: I, um, I, I try to just stick to beverages while I'm actually doing my writing, but then come tea time, I will have a snack or two. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I really do love baking. And so if I have made some cookies or something like that, I'll nibble on them from time to time. Um, every once in a while, I need a more, um, spicy snack and, um, so similar to chana tour, there's this kind of thing called mixture, which is like basically chickpea noodles and peanuts and spices and that kind of stuff. And sometimes I'll munch on that when I'm drinking tea in the afternoon.
0: Oh, that's good. That I, I admire that. I have an inability to taste anything spicy without my
1: head exploding. Well, if we ever meet, we'll just share sweet things together. We can there we'll you have go. that in yes. I don't mind
0: a little flavor and something sweet. That, that makes yes. perfect sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> so um, so what made you want to be a part of Story Seeds? Uh, why be on the show?
1: I, So I think I have to say that one of the most wonderful things about being um, an author is something that I never anticipated when I was actually writing the book. Because when you're writing a book, all you can think of is, you know, and this is my first book, all you can think of is, I hope this is a book someday and is on the shelves and you can't see past that. And one of the most wonderful things about this year has been meeting all these kids who have read my book. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know why I didn't think that far, but once you meet them and you realize these are actual children and they mm-hmm. have such vibrant inner lives and the opportunity to collaborate on something with an actual child who had an idea and to help that idea kind of come to, fru- to fruition is so wonderful and so exciting to me so that's, that's why I wanted to be a part of it Ah, that's so
0: nice now correct me if I'm wrong you are a fully practicing
1: doctor are you not I am I am okay. I practice internal medicine I'm a primary care doctor for adults okay. yes.
0: well that takes a lot of time <laughs> how do you find time to write and be a doctor at the same time
1: so uh first of all I will say that I work I, I work um Three days a week as a doctor, mm-hmm. um, in the office. The other two days a week I still have to work, but it's just different. Um, and I've been doing that for years because when my children were young, I wanted to be able to, um, you know, help take care of them. So um, that's been something that's been part of my life for a while. I will say that um, when you're obsessed with something, you find time for it. And I've <laughs> become obsessed with writing, so. Uh, you know, and my children are older now and they don't need me, you know, in as many hours per day as they used to. So um I have more time. And uh yeah, and whatever time I thought I had to do other stuff now it just goes into writing. Oh, <laughs>
0: have you have you ever written for adults before?
1: I have not. I mean I've written I I've I've written like poetry for adults, like one of which was like published online, but you know, for the most part, um, all my writing's for kids.
0: Oh, that's great! Why did you want to write a novel for kids, anyway?
1: Uh, when I first started writing a few years ago, I wasn't sure who I wanted to write for. Mm-hmm. But then I took some classes, and it qu- became quickly uh, uh, apparent that I love writing for kids because that's those are the books that I care the most about in my life. I mean, I still read books for adults, and I love them, but the books mm-hmm. that are literally lodged in my heart. Um, are the ones that I read when I was a kid. And I also think that maybe I'm stuck at the mental age of 12.
0: Excellent. That, that does help, I have found. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. That, that's not a prerequisite, but it helps. <laughs> it definitely does. <laughs> so, uh, what is your origin story? Like, I, how did you become a published author?
1: So I will say that um, I've always been obsessed with books, with reading books. So when I was a little kid and up through all the way through the end of high school, I was I read everything. I read novels and I read nonfiction and I read cereal boxes and receipts and you know like whatever I could get my hands on. And I did a decent amount of creative writing when I was in school, but I knew pretty early on in my life that I wanted to go into medicine, and Uh, one of the most important moments that I can remember is I was in high school taking a creative writing class and I told my teacher, I said, you know, I really love this, but this is not going to be my career because I know I want to go into medicine. And he said to me, who says you have to choose? And he showed me all these books that were written by doctors who practiced medicine and wrote books um, like Richard Seltzer and William Carlos Williams. It was pretty amazing. So, I held on to that, and that was like planting a seed in my brain. so then I went to college and I did some more writing, and then I went to medical school and residency and there I had no time for anything else. I just had to learn the stuff that I needed to learn and then I had little kids i had I had two kids, and um you know that takes up a lot of uh, energy, time, and a lot of your heart, which was you know wonderful and then, in about two thousand and eleven i I decided that I wanted to get back to doing something creative. And so I started taking um, some online classes and then in-person classes. And then I met some wonderful fellow writers who became my critique partners. And that was the thing that kept me writing. Because once you have somebody who reads what you wrote and says, oh, my goodness, I need to know what happens next, that makes you write the next chapter and figure out what to do. Um, And so uh, because of these classes and because of my critique partners, I ended up writing both uh, novels and picture books. And, um, yeah. And then after like kind of lots of years of trying to figure out how to tell this story, right. I felt like I got it right. Ended up, you know, getting an agent and being able to sell it. So it was really a really a dream come true. And, um, it's been fun to see this go from something that felt like a hobby to something that really feels like a second career.
0: Oh, that's great. All right. So there is, um, you know, there, trying to write you, you obviously need your imagination in some way. Um, can you suggest in any way a imagination muscle building exercise for the kids who might be listening? Like how do you make your imagination
1: stronger? Ooh. So um, I really think that part of strength, strengthening that imagination muscle has to do with, not judging your own ideas. So anytime, um, I'm at a, the part of a story where I'm not sure what should happen next, I allow myself to brainstorm. Um, and I make my brain myself brainstorm at least 30 things that could happen. Mm. And yeah, because, and I, and the rules of brainstorming are that you keep going until you either, you know, uh, use up the time that you have allotted or gotten the number of things that you want to get. Um, and that there's no judgment that you're not allowed to edit or say something is dumb because we do that a lot to ourselves and we really stifle ourselves. And, uh, I will tell you that the first 10 things are things that, you know, it's not that surprising. And by the time you get to number like 17, you're like, wait a minute. Oh, maybe that could happen. That would be surprising and cool. And then by the time you get to number thirty, you might have five or six things that would be really neat to to write more about.
0: That's a great idea. Do you ever <laughs> find that your imagination gets stuck?
1: Oh yeah, sometimes it just does. and um uh, what I do is I take a break from what that is, and if i and i if I have other projects that I'm working on at the same time, I'll go work on that. Or I'll just take a break for a little while and go walk the dog or, you know, exercise or take a shower. And um, things usually become unstuck. And, of course, the other thing is if it is late enough, I'll just go to sleep. And sometimes then I wake up at five in the morning and I'm like, that's it. That's the yep. answer. That's what I was thinking, yep. I've been looking for. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, you know, it beats the shower. At least you can get to a dry piece of paper there. So not the worst thing. <laughs> not the worst thing. <laughs> So, uh, final question. It's very, very important question. What is the weirdest place you've ever worked on a book?
1: Oh, the weirdest place. Um, Ooh, I gotta think about this. Um, uh, I would say the battery tunnel. Ooh, what? (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Beep, beep, beep. Bang it up a little bit. How is that even possible?
0: okay i was not driving <laughs> okay i will just tell you that i would it. not recommend that Kids, <laughs> I <was if> you're <laughs> driving in the battering tunnel and you're in the driver's seat
1: do not write a book do book. not do not work on your book then okay. like, yeah, I, we were driving to or from new york i couldn't remember and uh i i had to work on uh I had to work on something and I was in the back seat and one of my children was in the front seat with my husband and so I was just sitting there and you know there's a little bit of traffic as there sometimes is And uh, so I was just sitting there in the tunnel, looking around, saying, oh, I'm working on this book (laughs) in the middle of the battery tunnel. It's fun.
0: (laughs) You know, I don't think you're the only one. I once read a collection of, oh, gosh, it was a bunch of different fairy stories set in New York. And one of the stories was about the trolls that live in the battery tunnel. So there you go. I think I think you have not been (laughs) the only person ever inspired (laughs) by the (laughs) inspiring place on Earth, otherwise known as the battery tunnel.
1: Yes. (laughs) Excellent. I didn't see the trolls, but they were probably (laughs) hiding.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking with me. This has been a delight, and I really appreciate it.
1: I had so much fun, Betsy. Thank you.
0: Well, folks, that's all for today. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming platform so you can tune in as soon as our newest episodes drop. If you have a stellar story seed and want to be on the show, email us at story seeds at literary safari.com you can also call our hotline at 646-389-5153 and leave a voicemail telling me all about it find us on instagram at story seeds pod and visit our website www.storyseedspodcast.com for behind the scenes pictures to join the story Seeds society and so much more credit to Matt Boynton and Anya Jeshik of Ultraviolet Audio for the sound mixing, design, and score of our bonus episode. Our theme music is composed and performed by Andrew Van Weingarten, and I am your host, Betsy Bird. Story Seeds is a Literary Safari Media production. On Story Seeds,
1: you're in control of your destiny. Adventures you design where your dreams can grow. Little more each time on story scene